Miss the show? No worries. On point and on this podcast, the Freedom Convoy rolls into the nation's capital and we saw the good, the bad, and the ugly. But no violence and so far no arrests. And how did the Prime Minister respond to what he calls a fringe minority? Well, he doubled down on his name-calling and seems to be doubling down on this strategy of pouring gas on all this anger instead of trying to calm the waters. So what happens next? Did the convoy make its point? Did it achieve anything Does anyone actually know what the fight is about? The Prime Minister may not like this group, but we will talk to someone who says the group is not accurately portrayed, and it's also not going away. And one of the issues protesters were fighting back against is this app that Canadians have to download to travel. And there's concern that personal data is being shared without Canadians' consent. So is there a flaw in this app? I mean, how are border agents getting your information before it's being presented? We will talk about that. And what does a post-COVID Canada look like? Now that those in charge are finally starting to talk about living with COVID, what's the exit strategy? The Prime Minister says we have to have, you know, we have an opportunity to build back better, but why don't we build back our collapsed country so that it actually makes sense for everyone? Let's get talking. This is On Point with Alex Pearson. Over the past few days, Canadians were shocked and frankly, disgusted by the behavior displayed by some people protesting in our nation's capital. I want to be very clear. We are not intimidated by those who hurl insults and abuse at small business workers and steal food from the homeless. We won't give in to those who fly racist flags. We won't cave to those who engage in vandalism or dishonor the memory of our veterans. Oh, Justin Trudeau could have calmed the waters. Instead, he dumped a lot of gas on the anger. Alex Pearson with you on this Monday, January 31st. And here we go into a brand new week, one with a whole lot of snow. I do not know where it will go, but it is great to have you here. So quite a weekend it was. Certainly not the January 6th insurrection that uh, many so very badly craved. Certainly not the best behavior we've seen, but when you look at the crowds, 18,000 is the number they're saying at um, at peak times. There were no injuries, no deaths, no riots, and out of that crowd, one arrest. And whether you like it or not, that is considered successful. Because given we were told that the heathens were taking over, um, that that little went wrong is a success. But when thousands of people show up in the nation's capital with a bone to pick, the job of the prime minister is not to play games. It is to govern all. So his job today should have been to lower the temperature, and he didn't do that. Instead, he delivered numerous inflammatory generalizations uh, that aren't exactly accurate. And I feel he needlessly inflamed anger that doesn't need to be ignited. And so he came out today basically calling thousands of people tinfoil hat-wearing people, anti-science, uh, racist, and I, I don't understand how this helps. And, and yeah, were there ugly moments? Of course there were ugly moments this weekend. Manhandling Terry Fox is just really dumb. And the stand, they, you know, it wasn't damaged, and a group of protesters ended up cleaning up and then started guarding it, but dumb. And then you look at what they did to the... Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, you know, dancing and uh, urinating on this war memorial. That is not okay. It's ignorant. 
And I find it very disrespectful to the real freedom fighters who actually did defend our freedoms. So it shouldn't have happened, which like made me think, why did the police not station an officer there? Why weren't these sites protected? And to my count, there was one Confederate flag. There was a flag with a swastika. And then, yeah, there were a couple of Canadian flags with a crudely written Nazi symbol on it. And I will never be okay with that on display. But I'll also point out that liberals, you know, feigning outrage over these racist symbols never flinch when they see them at any other rallies, and they are always there. But they also seem to forget that they're bossed in blackface more times than you can remember. And so, you know, I'm glad to all of a sudden see this revulsion over Jew hate. I would just like to know where the same outrage is, you know, when you get groups like al Quds taking over Queen's Park and protesters loudly and clearly calling for the death of Jews. I mean, where's the outrage? There was a protest in downtown Toronto this weekend where BDS flags were everywhere and they were literally calling for the genocide of Israelis. I mean, I mean, have you heard anything about it? There was lots of hate there. Not a word. That stuff doesn't outrage people, right? It's just the stuff you saw in Ottawa. I'd also ask, you know, where is the anger? I mean, if we're all talking about flags, where's the anger of the Hezbollah and the Hamas flags that are flown at protests or the hammer and sickle that many left-wing protesters love to make sure they get seen with? I mean, absolutely without question, you can be disgusted by the ignorance on display this weekend. I just want some consistency. That's all I'm asking for. And Trudeau came out and painted this convoy as the darkest moment in Canada. But then he further played politics. He decided, you know, I'll do the very thing that I'm warning conservatives not to do. To the politicians exploiting people's fears, I ask you to think long and hard about the consequences of your actions. rich. This guy exploits this mandate and it's been done purely for political reasons because he said it right up until the election that he was against mandates. He's against passports. It's on record. You can go look it up. Go Google Trudeau vaccine passports. It's all there laid out. And now he's using, you know, this policy to further wedge Aaron O'Toole, who clearly can be wedged very easily. And Pierre Polyevra, who attended, um, I guess he went to an overpass where families were standing. Well, he can't be wedged. And so in question period today, he turned the attack right back on Trudeau. Just because the prime minister dressed up in racist costumes so many times, he can't remember them all. Doesn't mean every single liberal is a racist. Just because the prime minister had tried to help a corporation avoid prosecution after it stole from some of Africa's poorest people, doesn't mean all liberals are racist. Just because about a half dozen liberal MPs who are racial minorities have complained about his treatment of them does not mean that all liberals are racist. That is guilt by association. Why doesn't the prime minister opt instead for personal responsibility? You know, if Trudeau has his way, the Conservatives will be judged by the company they keep, which is fair enough. And that is the risk many took when they weighed into this protest over the weekend. 
But I thought it was interesting because he also made very clear because he was challenged. Okay, well, we, you show up to protests. And he said, you know, I'm not going to meet with the truckers. But when it comes to the protests he takes part in, it's that they're the acceptable ones. I have attended protests and rallies in the past uh, when I agreed with the goals, when I supported the people uh, expressing their concerns and their issues. Black Lives Matter is an excellent example of that. But I have also chosen to not go anywhere near protests that have expressed hateful rhetoric, violence towards fellow citizens. Mm-hmm. Okay. When, when Trudeau took a knee with Black Lives Matter last summer, it was at a time when there was very real and very violent protests sweeping across the United States. I mean, the goal of this organization is to collapse capitalism. Uh, Trudeau's fine with all that. I'd love to know where his concern was when statues of Sir J. John A. Macdonald were torn down, Edgar Ryerson was beheaded. Where was his concern and condemnation? when 65 churches were burned down across this country over the summer. I mean, if he's so against violence. I mean, his buddy Gerald Butts called it acceptable. Where was all the concern and disgust when rail blockades shut the country down for weeks? Just as conservatives can be criticized with playing footsies with this movement, Trudeau is talking out of both sides of his mouth. His outrage, and that of the left, is very selective. And this just feeds into this anger which we're now seeing. So yeah, you can be disgusted and angered with what you saw in Ottawa. You can rightly question some of those attached to the protests. All of that is fair. What I care about is that, you know, those, you know, waving their finger in judgment, just be consistent with the anger. But for the prime minister, he's got to learn that his number one job is to lead and govern for all in times of crisis, not galvanize or further inflame the very real anger of a lot of people in this country that he clearly has little time for. And so as much as he tells politicians, don't exploit the fear and anger of Canadians, he's painted an entire movement as racist. So maybe he should listen to his own advice. They only have two demands, and it's either Trudeau steps down or the mandates are lifted across Canada. We want love. That's why we're here. We want love and freedom for everybody. Every time we turn around, there's another law or regulation. And we're just tired of being told what to do. Every single person in that parliament resigns or they end all of this narrative and drop it. That's what I want to see. All righty. Not sure that's going to happen, but those were the demands. That was the temperament on Saturday. Other than that, there was a relatively no huge incidence. But this thing means something different to everyone. I mean, it started with vaccine mandates. It's now morphed into this giant movement that's really kind of pushing back against all lockdown measures. And so while there are legitimate questions to be asked about some of those tied to the organizations, their affiliations with uh, separatist groups or far-right groups, fair enough. But to suggest all of those, as the prime minister did, of supporting this particular protest are racists or violent or... Uh, tinfoil hats, as, as he called them, is just not true. My next guest spent the weekend meeting with those in the crowd and joins us now to debunk some of the stereotypes about who attended and why she thinks we make a mistake in brushing this off as a small fringe. Rupa Subramanya, joining us now, columnist with the National Post. Good to have you. Uh, great to be here, Alex. I know you live right close to where this is all taking place. Have you had any sleep in the last three days? 
Um, I have actually. I've been sleeping rather well, uh, as I joke with some some people on on Twitter. Uh, it actually reminds me of my former home in Mumbai, and this was just regular stuff, you know, cars, uh, uh, car honks uh, going off all the time, uh, you know, and and lots of foot traffic. So it kind of made me feel like I was back at my old home. So, uh, but you know, uh, it's been fine. It, it, the car, it, the noise isn't all night uh, as such so you know things generally tend to settle by about 11 p.m and uh, i've been doing uh, i've been sleeping just fine all righty so there's a lot of activity obviously in the nation's capital the sleepy town has finally woken up but um Mm -hmm. you know you waded into the crowds i mean everyone kind Mm -hmm. of went there this weekend to cover it what um what surprised you most of the makeup of this particular uh, crowd well, that's a very good question. And what uh, struck me uh, right away was the diversity of people who had shown up to the protest. Um, so you had uh, people from all over the country, really, um, everyone from Alberta. I saw people from Newfoundland. I saw people from Quebec. Uh, there were a lot of people from Quebec, actually, uh, mm. people f- uh, who had driven out all the way from Toronto and, uh, you know, Saskatchewan, Manitoba. Everybody was here. Uh, you had the young, you had the old, you had kids, you had uh, teenagers, you had people of color, you had black Canadians, you had Indo-Canadians, you had Chinese Canadians, you had, um, uh, you know, you had some Sikh truckers who were there uh, on hand to help out, uh, you know, giving out food and uh, and, and also uh, making their voices heard. So it was it was incredibly diverse. And uh, that was one of the most striking features uh, of the protest. You had these uh, people of color walking around with, uh, with signs saying, uh, Justin Trudeau, uh, guess what? I'm part of the French minority, which was, <laughs> which was, which was really quite something. Yeah, I mean, and he seems to be um, doubling and tripling down on his comments Mm -hmm. um, after calling this group a Mm -hmm. fringe minority uh, with unacceptable Mm -hmm. views. You know, he Mm -hmm. really kind of went at it again today. Um, Has he underestimated what's going on here? My sense was even before the prime minister spoke uh, on the weekend, I was uh, one of the other things that I uh, that I noted was uh, just how uh, much anger and frustration there is. Um, it's, uh, you know, and, and I think our po- political elite, um, elites have really underestimated that, um, and, um, and then to dismiss them as fringe and inconsequential, irrelevant, and they don't represent, uh, most Canadians, I think is, uh, is, 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 you know, is incorrect. At least my reading of it is that, uh, the, these are, uh, you know, these are, uh, the, this group was well represented. Uh, it was a cross section of Canada, really. And, uh, and they're, they're angry and frustrated. I, uh, the, you know, there were people there protesting the vaccine mandates. Of course, you had a few people who are, uh, who, who, you know, who don't believe in the vaccines. Um, but that's, that's their right. I mean, you know, mm. that's their view. Um, and, you know, I, as someone who's uh, vaccinated three times, you know, I, you know, I, I believe that they should be entitled to their views. And um, so, you know, you had you had a diverse group of people. And uh, and I do think I do think, Alex, that uh, they've, they've, they've 
really underestimated uh, what's been happening here on on the, on, the, on the streets. I mean, all they have to do is just get out of their homes and uh, you know and, and and walk walk among the crowd and see and see see you know and speak to the people there. It is it is quite uh, diverse and uh, these are people with real issues. There are people who've lost their jobs. They know people who've lost their jobs. Uh, these are people who've been ostracized by their friends for not being vaccinated. These are people um, who, you know, who've lost loved loved ones through mm-hmm. depression, through suicide, uh, and, and so you hear some incredibly heartbreaking stories of people who, um, you know, who've not been able to say goodbye to their parents who died in long-term care homes um, because they've just been shut off from them. And, uh, and 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 so these are these are heartbreaking stories. And to say that uh, these are the fringe, and then the, and somehow they're um, they're 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 uh, they're angst, and you know their grievances are somehow not relevant. Uh, is is you know I I just don't understand why um, anybody would say that. It it just comes across as incredibly insensitive. Well, politics. I think we both know that's uh, at play here. There's <laughs> a lot of politics at play. I mean, Trudeau was never going to meet with these truckers. It's not his. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of thing. Um, but right. uh, bottom line, I know that you had gone to a press conference with the organizers of this and mm-hmm. they ha- and I watched it online. Um, mm-hmm. What is the end goal here? I mean, they, they, they do risk overplaying their hand by staying, you know, overstaying or staying too long. Um, you know, I think the message is kind of turning into all sorts of different uh, battles. But what is yeah. the end goal? Where do you where do you see it going from here? Well, yeah, no, that's a great question. And I indeed asked Asked them this question uh, at this at this gathering of uh, uh, this small gathering, and um, I asked them if they if they have any desire to get into politics. How long are they going to be here for? How long is the protest going uh, going on for? Um, so the organizers say that they have enough money really to stay to 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 prolong these protests or to 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 continue with the protests as long as it takes really uh they've they've raised more than nine million dollars already mm-hmm. uh and that's a pretty impressive sum um and uh, and so yeah so they're 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 planning on being here as long as the vaccine mandates stay in place um and if the vaccine mandates go they're they say that they're you know they'll leave. You know that's that's this is what they're here for. They're here to oppose the mandates. Um, and uh, and then I also asked them, you know, if they're if they're uh, if they're if they're partisan, do they uh, you know do they do they have yeah. um, uh, aspirations to get into politics? And they were very uh, very very clear in saying that uh, they're you know they have no desire to do anything like that. They what they want to do. What they I think want your to question actually. I, heard, I I knew it was your question. I think the answer was. I think I think my takeaway from that question you asked was. I think they equally hate the liberals and the conservatives. Yes, you know, they hate the everybody. Same. Really, they hate <laughs> everybody. They hate the provincial parties. They're uh, they're just they're just really um, just really uh, angry and frustrated and yeah. fed up with uh, with with how things have been run, and uh, and so they see themselves as agents of change. You know, that's I think mm. that's what they want to do. They want to influence the political landscape. And uh, you know, and, and then I think I think that's starting to happen. I think we're you know, and I and I said this in a tweet earlier that you know there's a churn going on in this country, and we have to acknowledge that we have to engage with it, we have to try to understand it, you know, and we can't yeah. we can't afford to uh, bury our heads in the sand and just pretend that it you know it's all going to disappear. I don't think that's the right approach. 
Um, Given the fact that, you know, this is day three of the protests, um, you know, I was there back at the protest site and, you know, the trucks are still there. uh, People are still coming in. The crowds are a little smaller today, but they're there. They're there. And they've raised an incredible amount of money. um, And, uh, and, you know, they're just they've gotten global attention. Um, So this is this is uh, you can't just uh, dismiss this as uh, just a flash in the pla- uh, flash in the pan. All righty, we'll continue watching it. Very much appreciate your bird's eye view of all things that went down. Thanks so much. Oh, no worries, Alex. Great to be here. Thank that you. That is a Rupa Subramania. You can read her column and her coverage in the National Post on this. Good to have you here on this Monday. So one of the concerns raised by those in the protests in Ottawa is information being collected by the government and it's on this arrive can app and this is something that you have to download if you're going to be traveling in and out of the country and what it requires is that you download this app you put your private health and travel information on this and a truck driver put this issue into the spotlight when he said that he had been traveling in the united states and that when he pulled out his qr code when he arrived at the border that the agent said well we've already got your information on the computer and so It brought to light, you know, is Big Brother getting our private information before we even show up? And so they become the question, you know, can the government and should the government be able to see your information without consent? And can they track movements, which have been some of the allegations? Let me bring in Anne Kavukian. She's the executive director at Global Privacy and Security by Design Center, also the former privacy commissioner here in Ontario. Good to have you, Anne. Thank you, Alex. Uh, I find this uh, appalling because I think people are just have no awareness of what's taking place. Um, it, from the example you gave, that gentleman obviously wasn't aware of this automatic collection of his personal information. He hadn't consented to it in any meaningful manner because he wasn't aware of it. He didn't know whether it be made available to various government departments. Is it just this government department at the border? Can others gain access to it, third parties? This is appalling. Is this a flaw in in the app, or is this something in the fine print that people just don't know about it? I'm guessing it's the latter. I haven't looked at it uh, specifically, but um, I'm sure it's it's in the tiny fine print that nobody ever reads. And something of this magnitude, there should be very clear consent and notice uh, before it is being used. People should be fully aware of this. Privacy is all about personal control, personal control relating to the use and disclosure of your personal information, especially sensitive information like this. At, at the border. And what is the government doing with it? Have they encrypted the data for secure retention? Are they ensuring that no other parties, no other government departments, et cetera, can gain access to this because they shouldn't be? The, all these questions need to be answered. Yeah, I think people don't even know to ask them, though. I mean, people kind of yeah. freely give over their information because, you know, you've got to get your uh, vaccine. You've got to download a QR code for that. You know, you've got to yeah. do this arrive can. There's so many different apps that we have been asked to download. And there is a hesitancy on some out of concern that this could be happening. And so ha- what is the, um, you know, the surety being put in place on these apps that there is no data sharing or that there is no data being presented without consent? Oh. Uh, there is no surety. In fact, if, I wish I was still privacy commissioner because the privacy commissioners should be all over this. They should be digging deep, looking under the hood. I always say trust but verify, but these days I don't even say trust. Just verify 
that what is taking place is completely legitimate. No third parties in terms of other government departments gaining access to this. Um, you know, the, the CBSA said they were piloting this advanced declaration feature within a can that gives air travelers the option to prepare their customs forms in advance of their arrival in Canada. But I don't think people are aware of this. You know, awareness is critical. It can't be a surprise like it was to this gentleman when he was crossing the border. And that's what concerns me enormously is that this ArriveCan mobile app um, it just appears. It's not mandatory, but it appears to be everywhere. And no one is aware of it. The other side of this is that they want to upgrade the system so that it could include a facial recognition software, which... Oh. Okay, I'm not real keen on that. Uh, but again, that just opens up further. What, what concerns you about that when you hear it? Facial recognition is the most sensitive information, your facial image, and it should be strongly protected. There are two different kinds of facial recognition. One is called one-to-one, where in the Nexus system, for example, when you go to the airport, you have consented very fully. You give them uh, the picture of you uh, that appears in your passport. And then when you appear at the border crossing place, uh, they look at your face, they compare your face live to the picture you submitted, all consensual, it's one-to-one, and and you're good to go. One-to-many is the exact opposite. It's where your facial image is compared to thousands of other facial images. And there's a high rate of inaccuracy, false positive. They do this a lot in the UK and England. And it causes so many cases of identity theft. It is just appalling. So I would hate to see that happening here. Yeah. And I mean, look, I don't think a lot of people care about sharing data. I think people have become so used to, you know, like your 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 phone going yeah. off and an advertising pipe up when you go by a store and you think, oh, that's a nice coincidence. Everything's kind of manipulated uh. and very purposeful by artificial intelligence. But what is your major concern with this? Because I don't think people will give a lot of thought, um, you know, and, and the bottom line is we don't have a choice. If you want to go out of this country or come back in, uh. you've got to have this app. The problem is, especially if they capture facial images, as I mentioned, I would want to know exactly what kind of facial recognition are they doing? Are they doing one-to-many or one-to-one? Is your facial image being compared to thousands of others, in which case you will be subject to identity theft and potential inaccuracy? It is really frightening. So privacy commissioners have to be all over this. And get the details out to assist people because people aren't in any position to evaluate this themselves. Right. Uh, but where are they? That, that's the concern now I have is that it's not being flagged. I mean, you uh, saw how much, how little buy-in there was to the initial vaccine or, or the COVID yeah. tracing app. That one blew up. Uh, it was abandoned. Yeah. But, you know, the fact is no one's bringing this up other than, you know, when we hear <sighs> stories about it happening. Yes. And that's how we have to attract attention to this and really get people to look under the hood. We have to audit what is taking place with the information that is being automatically collected somehow. Where is it going? How is it being used? Is it going to other departments? How long will they retain it? These are essential questions. If um, someone takes your data um, and your health information, your personal information on an app like this, can it be sold without your um, or, or given to third-party use or research use uh, within government? Um, sure. Your I mean, I mean, and that's the awful thing. There are unauthorized uses by third parties. This has happened in the past. That's why I say you've got to audit these systems right at the outset to ensure that it's not going to any third parties, that you're not aware of it. You know, we, we have to look under the hood 
always, especially with these new features. Nonetheless, I think it's a matter of people <sighs> just don't know, but maybe they'll catch on. All right, Anne, always That's appreciate great. your time. I know you're very, very busy these days. Thanks so much. <laughs> My pleasure, Alex. Thank you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Anne Kavukian over at Global Privacy and Security. And so there you go. Uh, just make sure you read the fine print on this app. Maybe you don't care, and some people won't, but uh, others very much will. So what is the exit plan for this pandemic? I mean, is there one? We're here into two years of this lockdown and restrictions, and finally officials are starting to admit that we're going to have to live with this virus. Okay, well, what does that look like? I mean, you've got countries dropping masking rules. Doug Ford says, no, they're sticking around for a while. Um, you know, but now that we're 90% fully vaccinated, what does living like COVID look like? Will those in charge, I mean, finally fix the broken health care? Will they ever come up with a plan to catch the children up from months of learning loss? How will they rebuild main streets that have been absolutely, you know, flatlined? Coming out of this pandemic, it's pretty much collapsed a lot of our systems. So how do we rebuild? Justin Trudeau calls this the opportunity to build back better. Well, I think a lot of people just want to build back with something that actually makes sense. Irvin Student is the president of the Institute for 21st Century Questions. He's also the author of a new book coming out, Canada Must Think for Itself, 10 Thesis for Our Country's Survival and Success. Good to have you. Thanks so much, Alex. What's the top line of your book? I mean, what is, you know, the intentioned goal, uh, you know, for those who are reading this for you? Uh, the book's called uh, Canada Must Think for Itself, so I'm very uh, literal in that sense is that country is, has a very precarious present and a very uncertain future and many countries older even bigger uh, in many cases smarter have gone by the wayside so we're uh, a bit over 150 years old as, as a going concern as a, as a complex federation do we have uh, the rest of the century before us or will we also uh, disintegrate or collapse or, or, or endure some sort of um, increased calamity building on the pandemic and, and obviously I'm for continued survival and success so the idea is that if we're going to survive we really must on all systems think for ourselves no one's going to save us no one's going to do it for us no one's going to do the thinking no one's going to do the work and thinking for ourselves really means across the systems of society it's not just sitting behind a twitter feed or in, in the abstract in one's car or at one's desk and saying, well, I can think for myself, I'm educated, I'm smart. It really is a systems approach, strategy, and real national effort. So the book is 10, uh, 10 vectors, 10 theses about how we do that coming out of the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, I think I think a lot of the frustration and anger that we have started to see resonate in this country, and some of it playing out in Ottawa this weekend, is this frustration across the board on, um, you know, why we had to lock down, which is a, you know, to cover and, and protect a very fragile and clearly failed health system. Um, so that has to be one of the conversations, you know, how are we with all the billions and billions we spent going to get the health system that, you know, we only have one in this country. So how are they going to rebuild health? And actually, will they do it given, as you all know, Irvin, they clearly didn't do that after SARS when we were told you got to get your house in order. And so one of the main areas, what will health care look like moving forward? How should it be rebuilt? Well, let me start from first principles. It turns out we we have at least 13 health systems across the country, not one, because we have 12, uh, 10 provinces and three territories. And then you might add a 14th system, which is everything related to federal intervention, healthcare, which is broad. So 13, 14 health systems. 
Some of them uh, collapsed. Some of them endured great pressure. And some of them did better than others. But there was an intellectual problem at the very start in the treatment of the the pandemic. And I I treat this in, in in the book coming out. It is that we imagine that Canada reduces to one system. And one consideration, one system, and only one metric. So the one system is healthcare or public health, and the one metric, one the only the only thing of concern in that in the entire system was apparently the pandemic over the last two years. And within that pandemic, the only thing of concern is either case counts or ICU beds or even vaccination counts. All of this is a reduction, uh, reductio ad ad absurdum, as they say in Latin, which is to reduce um, the second biggest country in the world to one Twitter feed. And of course, as soon as you do that, we see that in the physical world where we live, there's mass disintegration because the country is too complex even for the for to reduce it to, to the pandemic, which is a big shock. So I uh, reassert that there are six or seven major crises of system in the country, and we have to deal with all of them at the same time. Obviously, the public health one is one of the major crises, but it's not the not the major crisis. I think actually education is the major crisis. The economy and the business sector are a massive crisis. The public health sector needs to be rebuilt in the pandemic sense, but in the, in the mental health and the physical health sense as well. I should say that separate to the book, uh, and this is also a moment I'm co-chairing a new Canada Science and Policy Committee to exit the pandemic, proudly co-chairing with Dr. Kwajo uh, Karamantang, uh, Chief of um, of um, emergency at uh at um, the ottawa He's hospital ottawa. Yeah. the ottawa hospital is real real uh, mensch as we as we say and we're we're dealing with that on the practical side the book deals with a lot of the conceptual problems we've had an intellectual collapse in the country we've not been able to even understand our circumstance even what's happening in ottawa uh is an important reassertion reassertion of the physical over the virtual and feedback mechanisms from various parts of the country to decision making classes that Although, although well-intentioned and, and, and generally bright professional have been literally in Zoom rooms for two years, so not seeing the country. Mm-hmm. A country cannot function without feedback mechanisms, regardless of the intelligence of the, of the decision-making class. And our decision-making class is, has been proven to be, uh, again, patently mediocre under pressure. So we need to, to reinvent all of that because tomorrow, as I describe in the book, is, is extremely wicked domestically and internationally. So we'll have to up our game even more. Yeah, which then speaks to military in questioning you know, what, what is our role going to be in the world? Are we just going to not have any role at all? Or, or are we going to at least try to punch some some kind of level, um, you know, and, and defend ourselves? Uh, education, clearly, after what has happened to our kids. I mean, one of the big things, Urban, I'm, I'm stunned that we're still not having the conversation yet two years into this thing of how we get our kids caught up. There's, there's an entire yeah. generation, certainly in um, Ontario, and and I don't I, even Quebec. You could say there are kids in this country that are going to be generationally all of them at a severe disadvantage because of what they've gone through in this pandemic, and no one's even talking about it. I talk about it all the time, but it isn't a conversation. That, but it will be within uh, four or five months. So let me put the two things that you mentioned together in the context of the book and the practical work I do. Uh, you talked about what's Canada's place in the world. First of all. Now, nobody owes us a place in the world. Nobody is saying Canada has this telos, and, and it wouldn't be nice if Canada stepped up and occupied this geography and really punched above its weight. Nobody in the world is thinking about that, and very few in Canada are thinking. So nobody owes us an existence. In fact, uh, many would presume that by virtue of our performance, start, and then now, now we go to the education question, we deserve to be crushed because we haven't perf- 
prepared a generation that's ready to deal with very wicked circumstances tomorrow. In the book, I suggest that we have a four-point game this century, and people must understand we're obsessed with the United States, but we actually have the United States on the southern border, China on the western border, Russia on the northern border across the Arctic, and Europe on the eastern border. These are all great powers, all nuclear powers in the end, and they can crush us through 15 combinations of push and pull very fast, and they don't owe us anything. It is us that need to think think for ourselves and fight for ourselves and assure success. Obviously, we've shot ourselves in the foot on the education proposition. How can we prepare to be successful tomorrow if we don't have an educated or a very educated population? If we have kids who have not, are not just underschooled, as you rightly express, and this is across the country, but no school at all. 200,000 kids across the country ejected from the school system altogether, still waiting to be reintegrated. Nobody's looking for them. Nobody's talking about them. So when the prime minister, with the greatest respect, talks about, again, still the pandemic, reducing it to single bullet points, he's not yet understood what's happening at his feet. Is that we are graduating a, a generation of kids who are right. not prepared at all for, for tomorrow. And the premiers uh, have, have presided over this. Uh, ignominiously in many cases, the prime minister doesn't know what's coming to populate the federal machinery. Yeah, well, they've got this um, kind of single vision issue on climate change, and then they're forgetting everything else in the room. Just quickly, uh, in under 30 seconds, Urban, what is your mind thought? uh, What's your thought as to, like, the biggest vulnerability that we have to correct, like, immediately as step one of the exit strategy? We have to exit the pandemic with maximum (laughs) energy and yesterday. But the pandemic means across the systems. We need to stop feeling sorry for ourselves, whatever one's position, sentimentalizing. We need to exit because the pandemic is by now the minor of our crises. The big opportunity, fortunately, and I have this in in my book on on Canada Must Think for Itself, is that uh, the Arctic is opening up objectively. Um, Climate change is not a bullet point. It's a fact we're not going to reverse it. So the Arctic opens up all of a sudden in my in my uh, construction, Canada becomes the center of the world with a much larger population pushing to the north. And we have an international market at our doorstep that is 2 billion people strong across four continents. And we are the center of it. If we can think and prepare and, and build, and that really gives optimism to this young generation that, that we've made to suffer over the last couple of years. No question about it. It's going to be a very big job. Someone's got to do it. I just hope they do it right. Uh, very much appreciate your time, Irvin. Thanks, Alice. Have a good evening. That's Irvin Studen. The book is called Canada Must Think for Itself. It's 10 Thesis for a Country's Survival and Success This Century. And it is Irvin's uh, view of what an exit strategy should look like from this. Thank you for listening. Of course, you can join us Monday through Friday starting 630 sharp. I'm Alex Pearson. This is On Point.